Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter. Uh, I'm glad to have Sicky back that faked it last week, but he's back, Richie, and he put me under so much stress, so we're glad you're back. But he's still sick, so is my wife, so don't get close enough to hug. And uh, I was thinking, since I was catapulted into this series, uh, about what we ought to be doing before Christ comes, and I thought... uh, It'd be nice if we would be happily married until he comes. And uh, I haven't spoken on the area of marriage for years since my last uh, marital fight. And uh, uh, so I thought, uh, let's look at it. And it's going to be a worst-case scenario. And what prompted me, uh, I'm speaking at the seminar on how to follow a parked truck. And uh, it came to me because Steve Mahorder said this to me. He said, I'd sure like for you to speak in this area. And I said, what's the issue? He said, how to follow a passive husband. I said, saved, unsaved. He said, any category. He said, we get more complaints and more uh, counseling situations that are coming to us that one of the number one problems in the home is that the women are complaining he's passive to spiritual things. Uh, he could excel on his job. He knows everything the Raiders and 49ers are doing, but he doesn't have a clue about God, the home, and what it ought to look like. And so we go to First Peter, dealing with a first century problem, a very unique problem, that a woman winds up coming to faith in Christ without her husband being saved. And this did not happen in the ancient Near East because the way it happened, wherever the husband went spiritually, the rest of the family followed. The man made the religious choice. But what was happening is God was reaching in and saving women that had not saved the husband. Now, this created chaos. 1 Corinthians 7 said that unbeliever may not want to live with you as a believing wife. You're not hot enough. You're not fast enough. You're not, you're, you're not like you used to be. I met you at a bar, and you don't act like a, a party girl anymore. You're too godly. The kissing has just lost the flavor because now I'm kissing godly lips, and I don't smell any tequila. I, I want the old chick back. She said, well, I, I'm a Christian. Well, very common, I want a divorce. I'm not living with a Christian woman. And Paul said, if they want to depart, let them depart. A brother or sister is not bound to that marriage if that's what they, they want to do. They release you. And so this happened a lot. Normally, normally, every Christian sister had a Christian husband. That was the norm. But Peter deals with an exceptional thing, dealing with a suffering church and a church being called to submit to fallible, uh, sinful men. And let me give you the context. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Be submitting to every 
God instituted authority layer, uh, employer, employee, parent, children, the king, government, taxes, submit. And what's the motive? For the Lord's sake. Do you see that? It didn't say submit because you have a perfect ruler. Submit because they just treat you so wonderful. Submit as unto the Lord. He's your motivation. Then he goes on and describes that in verse 18. Slaves, submit to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. You often hear this in the marriage thing. Well, I'll submit if he does what I want him to do. And here he's giving the illustration. Hey, you may be a slave. You may have a good master. You may have a bad one. But your submission is as unto the Lord. They get the benefit of you fearing the Lord. They're not the source of your submission. They're not the source of it, nor the motive for it. But they get the benefit of it, right? Then he goes and tells us in verse 21, you've been called to live this way. And then he gives the example of all. Christ submitted to the Father's will. He couldn't talk the Father out of the cup. He couldn't talk him out of the cross. So he goes ahead and drinks it. He submits himself. He does not revile those who revile. He comes under in loving devotion to his Father and goes to the cross. And by so doing, he leads us to God through that. Now, wives... In the same way, be submissive to your husband. I would take it back to verse 18 and verse 13, the last time he's used the word submission. Christ was just entered as an example, but it goes back. Just as slaves are being told to submit to an authority, just as I've told all the church to submit to every kind of authority, now I'm going to focus in on a home. And he's going to tell her at least four things to do in this Marriage that uh, is not necessarily made in heaven. Um, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. Now, we can camp there all day. Let's pull out the swords. But let's first of all agree, is the word submissive in your Bible? Before you reject it, find out what it means. Because we're almost afraid to even use the word in the church anymore lest we be considered chauvinistic or, oh, there we go. There's the same old line, same verse. No, let's, let, let me ask you this. Let me, who wrote this? Uh, Cosmopolitan? Hugh Hefner? Is this God's template? I didn't hear any women. Oh, oh okay, I was listening for feminine voices. I'm listening for ee. The men, we know this is God's word. <laughs> Especially here. And pass the Bud Light, and I don't know Jesus, but you better submit. So you believe it already. If you got a husband that does not believe the word, he's habitually unbelieving, he's an unbeliever, submit. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, 
such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and literally and clothes. Instead, it should be that of, the, of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah. Now notice how the submission is qualified. Who obeyed Abraham. Submission that results in obedience. And called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. All right. Now the women should amen this one. Husbands. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I want to look at two things here, the behavior and beauty of a godly wife and the behavior of a godly husband. And uh, now the husband isn't told he's living with an unsaved woman. It's just how he ought to treat a woman, whether she's saved or not saved. And I think what he tells the woman in the worst case scenario, suppose you even have an unsaved husband. This is God the Father's beauty outline for you of the effective woman, the kind of woman he wants you to be in marriage. And we'll look at four things. He wants you to submit. He wants you to live the life, not always use your lip. He wants you to have internal beauty, not just external beauty. Uh, He wants you to trust and not be afraid. And he gives an example of Sarah, submission. What does submission mean? Literally, it means to rank yourself under another. The softer definitions have been... uh, Be willing to be led. I like that. Be willing to be led. Uh, Let me give you some things that Wayne Grudem says it's not, and then some things he says it is, and I'll move quickly so we can get the concepts. It does not mean submitting, does not putting your husband in the place of Christ. You, You don't give any man that kind of loyalty. Not the king, not your husband. I know it's his castle and he thinks he's the king, but you serve a greater king. So submission is not abdicating. Everything he says is infallible. No, I have Christ. He may ask you to do something that your real love of your life would not want you to do. And we have biblical basis. I don't obey a man that tells me to do something that's sin. Don't have to do that. Two, It does not mean giving up independent thought. You notice that Peter addresses her, not the man. He could have said, by the way, you husbands, go tell her how she ought to act. No, he's addressing the women in the church. This epistle was read. He figures she can get it. I can talk to her. She's got the spirit. She's got the word. I'm talking to her. So she will come to this decision on her own. It will not be forced upon her by her husband. Hear me, men. It's not your job to make her submit. Do not waste any time trying to make your wife submit. 
That is not your job. You're not big enough, strong enough, and she'll learn to hate you. God alone creates a submissive spirit. And it's not your job to make him a leader. Only God can get the parked truck to get into drive. Three, I feel tension mounting. It does not mean she should give up her efforts to please or influence her husband. It doesn't mean she's passive. She does try to influence him, and he's going to tell him how to do it. It does not mean that the woman should give in to every demand of the husband. If he asks her to do that, which is against God's word, her conscience, she doesn't have to do it. And there's lots of examples of this. The Hebrew midwives would not kill the babies because they feared God more than the command of Pharaoh. Daniel didn't stop praying five times a day because Darius didn't determine whether he prayed or not. He broke governmental law to a greater law, the law of God. Esther did the same thing. The three Hebrew children, we won't bow. If we have to burn, we'll burn, but we won't bow. So there's times you hear Peter say, we can't withhold preaching for it's better to please God than men. And in a marriage, Christian woman, you're not asked to do what an unsaved man tells you if it's against your heavenly father. You just got that liberty. Uh, She's not told to submit because of lesser intelligence because we know Abigail lived with a fool and many a woman's married to a fool. So it's not lesser intelligence. Uh, And it does not mean being afraid. I'm submitting because I'm scared to death of you. No, he's going to go on and say, you must do this without the fear of the husband. You love God. You walk in the fear of God, not the husband. So it's not a terrifying submission. If he's abusive, if he's beating you up and the kids, by all means, get out of there. Call some of our deacons. We'll help pick you up and get you away from abusive situations. This is with normalcy. He just didn't like your faith. Uh, And it is not inconsistent with equality in Christ because he calls her a fellow heir with Christ and yet tells her, though you're co-heirs with Christ, the role of submission is still a part of the biblical function he wants you to carry out, even though you both are equal in Christ. Um, What submission means? an inner quality of gentleness that's willing to be led. Some of you, no one could lead. You just, you're just unteachable, maybe. You can't lead you. It's like I asked my sister one time, why didn't you marry? I couldn't find a man that I thought had the leadership skill to lead me. And I said, well, you'd have to marry Patton. Older sis of all of us kids, kind of the matriarch of our family. Don't push on her, I'm telling you. Rich is trying to teach me how to be angry and not sin. He never had to teach her that. She'd be in your face like that. Ain't afraid of you, mister. Okay, not going to fight anyone strong enough. Good night. Who would that be? Some of you, what, what kind of leadership? You're struggling with following Christ. So no wonder you can't find the kind of leadership you'll submit to. Um, It means uh, obedience, the kind of submission that results in obedience. Do you ever hear of this? Ain't no man going to tell me what to do. 
I got an amen. Thank you, sister. You're being honest. You're being honest. Uh, it involves acknowledging a superior authority to your own. Now, let me tell you how evangelical feminists have got out of this. They run to Ephesians 5.21, let us be all submitting one to another. So, see there, it's mutual. You've got to submit as much as I do. But you know what? Is that true? As he develops the list, the parents are never said to submit to the children. The master's never told to submit to the slaves. No, no. Uh, it implies superior authority divinely constituted. So she's willing to obey and come under. Because this word to submit is used this way. Jesus submitted to the authority of his parents. Was that mutual? No. They were the authority he ranked himself under. Uh, demons were subject to Christ. There was no mutual submission. Citizens are subject to governing authorities, Romans 13. The universe is subject to Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 27, Ephesians 1, 22. Unseen spiritual powers are subject to Christ. It's a strong word. Submission, I rank myself under out of Submission and fear of God, you reap the benefit that I'm easy to work with because I come under. Pastor Rich one time told me the test of submission is when those in authority over you tell you to do something you don't want to do. See, everybody's submissive until you tell them to do something they don't want to do. That's the test. That's the test. Will you rank yourself under authority? So, he said that, be submissive to your husband. And if you want to qualify, just go back to Christ, slaves, and verse 13. What kind of submission is that? It's the same kind. Then he tells her, your most powerful weapon with this husband will not be your mouth. It will be your behavior. If any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over by your continual putting tracks under their pillow and witnessing every night to them at the table and quoting verses. No, no, you will, they'll be making an appointment for a psychiatrist. You will drive them batty. It's not the mouth. He's saying a changed life. He married you obviously when you weren't saved. Well, I'm assuming that. Let me tell you, the field of Christian dating is a minefield. It's loaded with problems. Uh, this culture, they didn't date. There's no Bible for how to date. I have people come to me that are maybe in their 40s and say, you know, I got saved, my first husband left, and now I want to date. How do Christians date? I don't know. Somebody got a verse? Don't quote Song of Solomon. They weren't dating. Can you kiss? Can you hold hands? Can you experience a rush? I must be in love. No, you ate too much. There's no... And that's our young people today. Why all of these uh, uh, pregnancies and all these teenage, 
Because the Christian is, said, is told you can't have sex till marriage. And we're in a culture that believes in sex without marriage. So the kids aren't getting married. They're shacking up or they're having sex every weekend. And economics tell them, I can't afford a marriage, but I sure ain't going to do without sex. So they want the sex, but I don't want the obligation of a marriage. Because economically, I may not have the means to support this person. And the idea of dating unbelievers. I think of Donna told me one time, said, nobody taught me about Christian dating insofar as you only date believers. And you want to be sure they're double believers when you're dating them. For sure kind of believers. Not, baby, I love Jesus until I get you in bed. No, Jesus is in charge of me. He's Lord. I take him serious. Okay, so you didn't have in the New Testament people dating unbelievers. Oh, you, hey, I'll see you after you go up to the temple of Aphrodite. Let's meet over at Starbucks. And after I get married, I'll lead you to Jesus. Oh, what? Get out of here. You'll quit going to church. You'll be the one shut down. So he's talking here, your behavior in the marriage is the most powerful evangelism tool you have. Let them see how the gospel's changed you and your attitude, everything about you. Now, he goes on to say, uh, emphasize and focus on internal beauty, not external beauty. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry, and fine clothes. Now, he's not forbidding this, especially if you take out the NIV, put fine clothes. Like I said, he just said clothing. If you took it literally, he says, and don't wear any clothes. So, isn't that, so you can fix your hair. I prefer you would. Uh, you can wear gold jewelry, and you can wear clothing. It's a it's a comparative list. The, the natural man can do this. Women know how to dress without God. They may not know how to dress modestly. We don't want a bunch of cleavage on exposure in church because we're supposed to keep our mind on God. So a lot of young converts have to learn what to cover and what to expose. Your ankles have never caused us to lust. You know, and some men need to learn how to dress. We're sick of looking at that gold chain. We know you're in midlife crises. <laughs> you know, come on. Let, let's learn how to dress here. Cut the hair. Man, it's gross. <laughs> come on. When we come to church, we're not on expose, right? And, and you that are dating, quit making out in church. Or, I, I've seen couples just pawing over Love making is not a spectator sport. <laughs> Keep your hands off. You'll get married in about two years. You'll pray that they'll touch you. <laughs> and all the married folks said, amen. <laughs> Especially the fourth pregnancy. She said, you'll never touch me again. Uh, I, I love this uh, saying from Plato, of all people, talking about internal beauty and external. When I did Scott Thompson's wedding, he, he picked this selection for me 
to read at his wedding, and I've used it, many others. This is what Plato said. A base man is that common lover who loves the body rather than the soul. He loves the body rather than the soul. He is not lasting, for he loves a thing not lasting. For when the flower of the body fades, which is what he loved, he takes to the wing and will break any number of vows and promises. She loses her figure, let's say. The most vulnerable time for a woman in a young marriage is pregnancy. Sex is it on her mind. Her body's growing. Lost her figure. Uh, she's not, uh, you know, the playmate of the month anymore. She's throwing up, growing, all this. Says, well, man, you seem to have lost your beauty. She said, you got me pregnant. This is what happens when you get pregnant. Lots of things to be given up. But he says, but the love of a good character remains fulfilled throughout life for is fused together with a lasting thing. See, if you learn to love the internal part of this person you marry, uh, that's a beauty that gets better with age. You're not afraid of ga- gravity doesn't affect a woman of character and a woman who really loves the Lord. She may get the wrinkles. She may have the aging process. But you know what? If you went for something deeper than the body, you got something that would just increase value over time. So he says, these are the kind of things God's cosmetic kit will do for you. It will turn you into a gentle woman. And the word gentle means not insistent on my own rights, not pushy, not selfishly assertive, not demanding my own way. I tell you, it is something when you get around a pushy woman. You're used to it in men, but when the woman's that way, oh, man, I just say, Lord. I can't say the rest or I'll have to repent. Uh, She's to be quiet. Now, all the men love that. Uh, She obviously can say pass the salt. But the idea that be quiet, it was a phrase not only uh, having to do with speech, but it was a repose in her spirit. It was used of waiting on God. And she's a woman that in the inner man, you sense is reposed in Christ. She's at rest in Christ. She's not agitated all the time. She's not a nervous wreck. She's quiet in her spirit. She's reposing in God. And uh, she's not known by being a blabbermouth. She's known as someone, she's resting. She's resting in her God. And then he says, she should be free, which is free from all moral filth and moral uh, things. And then uh, he says something else about her that she ought to be a woman uh, who is seen trusting God. Like in verse 5, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were hoping in God and they'd made themselves beautiful. Then they start talking about Sarah. Oh, what a story. Read it all over again. If you read Genesis 12, Genesis 20, uh, two times. When Abraham is first called, he goes down to Egypt. 
when he gets down there, Pharaoh wants his wife for his own in his harem. Well, Abraham is a savvy man. And he told her as they went down there, she was a beautiful woman. He said, now when we get down there in Egypt, they're going to knock me off just to get you. So when we get there, tell them you're my sister. Now, it's a half-truth because they both had the same father. They didn't have the same mother. So it's a half-truth, but it was really said to save his hide. It's slick. I like the plan. I think it was very creative. <laughs> Carolyn, say you're my sister so they can take you and I can get out of town. Just, I don't know. There's something about it. You save your neck. Chapter 20 They're down with Abimelech, another king. And uh, Abimelech, he takes her because she's such a beautiful woman. By the way, being ugly isn't being godly. I grew up that, man, we had so many clothes standards, and they were all for the women. There was no beauty help in the way I grew up. Don't wear makeup. Don't do this. Don't do that. Because I think the men thought if we can keep them ugly enough, we won't lust. But some of you need to find a hairdresser. (laughs) Some of you need to quit looking like a truck driver. You need to look like a woman. You ought to be feminine. God wants our gals to look as good as they can. And men, that's your responsibility. Give them a little bit of money so they can look good. So when you look good... Beauty is not sinful. Beauty is not sinful. So you've got the father of the faith. You set the pattern for all Christian women. Be beautiful, just like Sarah. But what he does is twice her husband puts her in jeopardy and down at the house of Abimelech, a pagan king, God wakes him up in the night and he says this, if you touch Sarah I'm going to kill you and everybody in your house. That's what pagans seem to understand. Don't don't touch this woman sexually. Anyway, if you touch her, I'm going to kill you. You're wrong to have this woman. And the guy starts telling God, God, I didn't know. She said she was his sister. I didn't know. Go easy. He said, I'm being nice to you. You better get her back to him real quick before I decide to kill you. So, now let me ask you this. Who protected her, her husband or her God? Who intervened for her, her husband or her God? No, husband, you see that cloud of dust? That's him riding out of town on a camel. There's Abram. Oh, baby, go. God bless you, Sarah. I'll get another one. You know, he's not doing anything to protect her. And then he makes this comment. So you women, you submit without fear. You know why he gives you that example? When you talk to women about submitting, they get afraid. What if he isn't good to me? Uh, are you telling me just to put up with all kinds of baloney and he can do this and do that? No, no. I want you to be like Sarah who submitted to a fallible man who did not always make right decisions for her welfare but she had somebody bigger than her husband watching out for her. Her God was watching out for her. 
So he tells his sisters, submit to your husband, not because he's perfect. He just gets the benefits. So I, that's why you want to marry a woman who loves God. She'll actually be good to you with all your faults because she's doing it out of love for the Lord. But now, watch, men, this is one thing you don't want to do. You don't want to do this. You don't want to take it. If you know what's good for you, you better submit. Oh, no, no, no. no I, don't go to bed before her. You may not wake up. No, no, no. Don't give her any ultimatums. No, no. Or if you do, hire somebody to taste all food before you do. <laughs> ultimatums will make her want to go zonkers. You don't produce the submission in her. This is a divine victory. Any person submissive on any level gives evidence they're under the control of God. Because we all went our way. We all wanted to do it my way. And so submission on any level is a divine work. Marriage or otherwise. Now, let's pick on the husbands. Women, amen now. Uh, I'll hurry here. I thought this could be two-part, but I didn't want to get started because we'd be here for the next six months. He says to the men, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. The first thing he tells us, the word considerate here is off the word knowledge. And so some translations live with her in an understanding way, which I think is. But the emphasis is in the understanding, you become a considerate kind of leader is the idea. But the idea is live with her according to knowledge. And uh, I've often seen guys that when they got married, they knew more about cars than they did women. You know, they knew how to do a lip lock and get in bed. And now they're all of a sudden living together. Man, these, these things, are, they're different than men, yeah. They're complex, yeah. They didn't give me a manual to figure out. I know. You ought to start getting some knowledge real quick. Hang around some of these older, haggard-looking men, and they'll tell you. My dad used to always say, a wise general knows when to retreat. And he often retreated when the flag of Ireland went up in our house. He knew, oh, she's going to do whatever I tell. No, 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 no. I never seen my dad hit my mom, but I have seen her hit him. And she's 5'2", and he's six foot. She wasn't afraid. No, no, no. You got to be kidding. Afraid. Submitting in fear. I don't even know how to spell submission. I've had seven children for him, lived through depression, buried her children, nearly starved together. Hey, we ain't trying to figure out who's going to submit. We're in this together. But you ought to live with your wife in an understanding way. You know what I'd recommend to every young married couple? They ought to, it's an old book. I don't hear it pushed anymore. But James Dobson wrote a book on what every wife wished her husband knew about women. You ought to read that, guys. Uh, you may not caught on yet, but they're biologically on a different mode than you. Having children does something to them biologically. Hormones have a way of making them go zonkers. That's a nice word for a lot of other things I mean. Uh, that uh, menopause is going to affect them. Uh, 
Wow. I just never knew it would last 20 years. She's not here. I'll clean it up the second service. Sell the second service tape. I mean, the biology that's going on in a woman's body, and even when you're raising daughters, and uh, wow, to understand them. I remember one time I was um, going back to Dallas, Texas with all my family. Deborah was expecting. And I have, you know, two other daughters, Carolyn. It happened to be that time of the month for every woman in that car. Except for somewhere in the midst of Death Valley. I said, if I can live for God here, I can live for God anywhere. I'm in a truck full of cats. And I'm singing, living by faith in Jesus above. Whoa, I know, I know. Wow, I I never made that trip again. But you know, there's biological differences, emotional differences. Uh, You find out they have a different perspective. You know, this summer, a guy loaned me when I went on vacation, he loaned me a band of brothers. What a deal of World War II. Carolyn, you want to see it? No, I'll read my book. Carolyn, sometimes I say, select. If I see Hallmark one more time, if I see one more love story, I say, oh, good night. Let's get to the killing. Let's build ourselves up in the faith. Uh, totally different appetites. Uh, I think of uh, us men. Live with them, recognize the demands of having babies, getting children to school, preparing meals, staying up with a fevered child, and in our day, of course, uh, working eight hours on a job. Uh, And then, after they've done that, you want them to look like the model of the month and just panting to go to bed with you. (laughs) Honey, what's happened to the fire? It's called three children, a 40-hour work week, just got through the meals, just gave the children their bath, and you want a burning flame? I feel like a burnout light bulb in the billboard of life. We just lost the passion. Yeah, you did. It's called the third baby. It takes energy to raise children. It takes energy to do all these commitments. Uh, So... um, you know, I think of that in living with your wife in an understanding way. It's been so long since I've been in this area, but my wife gave a classic answer one time. Uh, I was trying to educate her about men. And one day I just said, I wanted to help her because I felt like we had made love for four days, and I wanted to educate her. And I, and I said, honey, let me just give you a, a simple philosophy, and a combination for life. I want to give you the key to a man's heart. And she's, oh, (laughs) not quite, but what? I says, three things is all they need. All the sex they can stand on demand. Anytime, day or night, doesn't matter, just be ready. And just let him feel like you've just been waiting for the moment. Okay, I got that, too. 
Uh, oh, you know, the stomach is the way to his heart. Always good meals. And that doesn't mean microwave dinners. Okay. Two. And then a clean, immaculate house. And if you get those three things going, you've got it made. I didn't throw it in. Dress like you bought your stuff at Nordstrom, though I don't only give you enough money to go to Target. (laughs) But I thought these three pillars for life would set her free. And she just looked at me. It was like she prayed for over it for a month. She said, how about one out of three on any given day? <laughs> so when I come home and I smell the dinner, I said, well, two are out. <laughs> just trade off. What do you want, a good meal or a hot love session? Now, give me the roast. <laughs> she was so unteachable in that moment, but... She taught me, I'll tell you. Um, I want you guys to all attend the seminar. If I'll just bring you, I've got it made. Uh, and then he says, uh, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And uh, now, the, of course, the females, I'm not weaker than him. You're supposed to be. Now, if you're a sumo wrestler, we understand. You're supposed to be physically weaker. No one has it all. And what the husband is telling them is don't let your wife's weakness be an opportunity to not love her, but let it be an opportunity to help her. Because God gives grace when we're in weakness. And since you're a Christian husband, when your wife is pregnant, when the kids are sick, when the duties are overwhelming, What's wrong with you helping? What's wrong with you helping? I never thought I'd want to do dishes again. You know, you got seven people living in a house. We passed down the dishwashing chores, then wound up with Ruth and I. And I always beg her, you wash, I'll dry, because I always got in trouble because the water would turn to grease, and the cup Tupperware is terrible, hot so is grease. You, you don't have enough soap. So I said, Ruth, you wash, I'll dry. But I said, boy, I'll be glad to get married because all my dishwashing days are over. Would you believe they're not over? <laughs> Voluntarily. I've got a wife that works and a wife that's a gym. I'd want to stand on my head just to keep her. I learned to do the wars. I do the wars every Thursday and Friday. I'll tell you women some tips so if you see me after the service. <laughs> Carolyn was gone for a month with, with Deborah one time. I learned to wash clothes. I studied the wash machines there. Why should my wife have to do it? I could do it. I can carry him upstairs. I can help fold. I can fold it. Well, I don't fold as good as her, but I can fold. <laughs> well, that's not masculine. Oh, baloney about masculine. How about being a helper? How about alleviating her burden? The most precious thing you men have is a Christian wife. You ought to nurture her, cherish her, and live with her in an understanding way that where she's weak, You won't slam her and build on that. And it's the same for the wife, or we're always in a perpetual war. You're not any good at that. I'm not any good. Good. Could you bring your strength to this area? 
And you've got to, as a woman, not be uh, on an ego trip that I, I don't need any man helping me. Yes, you do. Why did you get married? Let's just quit the battle of pride here and say we formed two to make one, and we hope that makes it better, not rivalry. Um, I'll just stop here since we're out of time. Is that he tells you as a man to uh, be sure uh, to be good to her lest God shuts off your communication with him, cuts in on you, that if you don't treat her right, God was cut off your prayer life. You'll show up and he'll say, I'm not listening. I don't want to hear you. And uh, that's a pretty serious, a uh, Christian man can't make it without prayer. He can't. The unsaved man doesn't pray anyway, so it doesn't matter. But to a Christian man, he says, be careful how you treat your wife. And if you're doing her wrong, I'll meet you at the time of prayer where you say, Lord, help me. I need your help on this business deal. I need your help for strength. And God's going to say, dummy, you need to learn how to treat your wife. And when you get right with her, come back. I'll be willing to talk. You see, you find out as a Christian man, you don't win in marriage because you are the best arguer and you've got the strongest body. See, when I got married, of course, I'm a Richmond boy. I like the fight thing. May the best man win. I'm twice as verbal. Love to get in an argument. I knew I could beat her. And I won more arguments and lost my prayer life than you can imagine. And there's been times as pastor in this church, by the time I went on my knees, I remember this especially in the early days, I went into Panola one day, I'd get down to pray, and I'd, I'd bid into Carolyn and had words as I left, left her uh, as a wreck, and I'd get on my knees like this, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Bozo. You call your wife right now. I don't want to hear from you until you call that woman. I was on my knees. I'll never forget it. While on my knees, I call her. I said, I'm trying to get through to heaven, and God says he won't hear me until I get right with you. That's right. I'll say this, and I'm done. It is really something, and as men, we've got to know this. Being the father of three daughters... Carol and I got on our knees before every pregnancy. We wanted children. We prayed. And God gave us the desires of our heart. It is something else as a dad to give away a daughter. Because I'm thinking, you better be good to her. I want to break your neck. You, will, you take, will you love her as much as Carol and I? And got to know women that your heavenly father will watch out for you just like he did Sarah because you're his daughter. Don't be afraid to do it his way. He will protect you, and he knows how to start with the left knuckle and start breaking the knuckle of your husband. (laughs) Don't mistreat my daughter because a sister is also a daughter of God. God bless you and tame the lions as you go out.